And you're very welcome along to our gardening programme for this Saturday morning, the 24th of March. Porrick, good morning good to morning, you. Good morning, Deirdre. How are you? Great, great. Good to have you in the studio. Lovely morning. It's absolutely beautiful and it's promised really good draw day tomorrow as well. So make use of the good gardening weather. Yes. That's my advice. Get out there. We have a busy programme, I think, this morning. Um, and now that the sun is starting to peep its head around the clouds, at least periodically, uh, people are really out and I think starting be. to look at the lawns and stuff Absolutely, like that. Yeah. And I'm just judging by questions that have been coming in kind of since, well, after eight this morning. And uh, it would appear that moss is the hot topic today, well, this, uh, whether you had planned or not. <laughs> lawns in particular, it, it is. This is going to be the, this weekend in particular, because probably the first opportunity people will have got to get the the lawnmower out and dusted down and, and uh, the first trimming has occurred because it's been such a long and, and wet spring so far. I only cut my lawn, my own lawn last, last weekend or my young fella cut it for <laughs> me. And uh, so, yeah, look at this weekend in particular and people will notice when they go back out on the lawns, moss is, is obviously going to be a, a big issue this year. So really my advice is to get out there, get the, the lawn trimmed and um, control the moss. And if, if you remember a couple of weeks back when I came back with Tommy, I reached out to the listeners and asked for uh, a number of of the listeners to get involved, particularly those that had problems with moss on the lawn and problems with the lawn. And we were inundated. You know, it's no exaggeration with the number of people that actually rang in looking for me to go out. So the offer was that I would go out and visit the gardens, talk to the winners and actually treat the lawn. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, that's what I've been doing. So I was out. Our three winners, just to remind people, we had uh, Loretta Carden down in Enniscrone. I was with Loretta a couple of weeks back, about two weeks ago, and and treated her lawn. Um, Last weekend, actually on St. Patrick's Day, I was with uh, Jerry Creighton. I went in to see Jerry and we actually treated his lawn. And while I was there, while we were in having the tea mm-hmm. afterwards, you know, and, and it's been lovely going and actually meeting the listeners and having the cup of tea afterwards and, and the chat. But while we were there, his brother-in-law, Albert, came in. So before I knew it, I was doing Albert's lawn <laughs> as, <laughs> as well. <laughs> so both Albert and Jerry, their lawns were treated last Saturday. Okay, good. Um, so, which is great. And um, and, and uh, Christina Brett uh, in Claremorris as well. I visited her last weekend as well. So uh, actually on St. Patrick's Day, we did all all, all, all of those particular three lawns. Okay, yeah. so busy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, but, um, you know, and, and really, you know, every, each and every one of them, the, the moss was just similar in, in, in all. Um, so really what we did, the simple steps were we applied the zero treatment which basically kills within a, within an hour to te- you know, certainly two hours, you'll see actually the moss dying and whilst we finished particularly Jerry's lawn, before I left you could actually see the moss beginning to die. So it works very rapidly and very quickly and while I was there we put on the lawn feed as well, the mm. Osmos. So that's really the combination. It's a kind of a three-step program. You put on the zero first, you can put the Osmo on then to green it up. So it greens it without forcing it and it fills any any of the bare patches that the dead moss is going to leave. Um, the zero you'll find, it, it will kill certainly the moss, but it won't blacken the lawn. So you don't get this overall blackening effect that traditional... It's, it's just, it's blackening treatment. the patches where, uh, where the, the moss, moss so is it's very evident. particularly strong. Yeah. yeah. And and really my advice is if, if the moss is very heavy, yes, once it's dead, you can rake it out but in general you can you can leave it the moss will die through 
you know, it'll actually the grass will actually force its way through the dead moss, mm. and um, with the with the osmo feed, it will actually green it without forcing it. And then in a couple of weeks' time, the fertilizer will not only get the grass growing and get it to fill in, but it'll soften up the weeds as well. And if you have weeds in the garden, you want and the lawn, you want to treat them later on. Then April is the time to do that. So we're talking about the likes of the buttercups and those kind of ones. Yeah, no. As I always say, don't spray them when they're in flower. Okay. Because our honeybee obviously visits the dandelion, the daisy and the buttercup. So, you know, try and, and, and always treat them outside of the flowering period which is important but look this is the weekend the weather conditions are absolutely ideal um, it was probably a tad windy last uh, St Paddy's okay. Day but we managed the job anyway and I actually when I was out with um, Loretta. Loretta I actually just recorded a yep. small piece so we can play it just for listeners just to see Loretta's reaction Okay so here we go well, a very good morning, listeners. It's Thursday morning. I have to say it's absolutely a beautiful morning here. And I'm down in Enniscrone with Loretta Carden, one of our winners, three-step programme. We're looking at controlling moss, feeding the lawns and getting rid of some of the weeds. So good morning, Loretta. How are you? Good morning, Porrick. Delighted to have won this pri- lovely prize. Last summer, I had a terrible, terrible, the worst summer actually ever with my front lawn with moss. Yeah. Now, the lawnmower got it very hard. Half the time it was half cut and left there and I was annoyed with it. So I always thought, oh my God, I'd have to get something to do this moss. Yeah, to get rid of it. To get rid of it is right. And uh, then when I heard your thing on the, you saying about the zero, I just said I'll have to get that. And the next thing I won this lovely prize. So looking at the front lawn, Loretta, I, I, I can see it clearly. There's a mm. lot of moss in mm. it. Um, and obviously there's some broadleaf weeds as well. But like every lawn this year, yeah. they're all yellow. Mm-hmm because of the leaching, because of the very wet autumn or very wet winter. So by putting on the zero first, that's going to control the moss and it'll actually control it overnight. So I'm going to spray it today and by this evening and tomorrow morning, you'll actually see the moss will have died away. The feed I'm going to use is one called Osmo, which is a slow-release fertiliser. So it'll take about a week to 10 days for that to kick in and you're going to see the grass greening up without forcing growth. So it's not going to jump overnight and and become a problem. And regular mowing will be the secret Mm -hmm. to get the lawn back Mm -hmm. in good condition Mm -hmm. then. Once the moss is dead and once the fertiliser starts getting going, Mm -hmm. regular feeding will have it back in tip-top condition. But I hope my son next door is listening to that. (laughs) It'll be him that'll be doing the mowing. We'll give him clear instructions. About every five to seven days, if you can mow it on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. that'll help to keep Mm -hmm. the... The, the, the lawn in good condition right. and the key thing then next autumn yes. is to put on the zero over the autumn oh, period right. and that'll stop the moss coming back. Oh that's fantastic oh, that is fantastic. Now I just while you're here Park, I'll just give you a look at, at a back lawn that I have but it's not as much with moss as the front one the front one I was concerned about but i give you have a look at my back lawn right. as well please. Well, and, and looking at the front lawn it is on a slope so mm. that's it's catching water to a certain ah, extent yeah. and that's why you have more moss. Looking here at the back lawn, it's absolutely, there's far less moss, but while I'm here, we'll treat it anyway, we'll give it a feed, we'll green it up, and uh, we'll get it in good condition. That is fantastic, Porrick, I couldn't thank you half enough, no, thank you very, very much. So anyway, I better crack on. Thank you. Thanks, Loretta. That's a wonderful altogether, Porrick, and can I just say, Loretta, I loved the little reminder about the uh, mowing of the lawn, and I'd say you're not the only mummy around. He's he's under pressure. Who's just uh, reminding sons (laughs) that there will be... grass to be cut Absolutely. for the next while. So he's under pressure now to, to make sure the lawn is kept well trimmed and tidy and, and looking good. Yeah, no, I, 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 we can relate to that in our house, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but a, a little breezy in Enniscrone, but your when isn't it breezy yeah. in Enniscrone yeah. there. It but was, 
actually. But yeah. a good a good result, Porek. A great result, yeah. And uh, look, it was lovely to get out and meet people and and um, chat with them and and you know have a walk around the garden and so on. And you know, I really thoroughly enjoyed it and thank all three winners for their hospitality when I was out and about. Okay, great. Now, we do have some questions in in relation to lawns, moss, etc. So we're going to just quickly tackle those while okay. we're on the subject yep. and then move on to other items. So <clears throat> somebody's wondering, how, how does the lawn be black from the zero? Well, I suppose that's the magic of the product. We, well, you see, traditionally people would have used sulphate of iron, which was a, had a caustic action. It burnt and it tended to burn the grass, the weeds mm. and, the, and the moss. So everything went kind of black. And, and also you had the, the issue with staining out on the tarmac atom. With the zero, it, what it basically, it's a liquid just to explain what it is it's actually a liquid you mix it in your spray machine or washing can and you apply it over the area so it goes directly onto the moss and, and onto the grass um, it doesn't scorch or, or damage the grass or weeds but it will you'll, you'll just see the moss dying it'll go it'll discolour and, and die away so that's effectively how it works it actually helps to green the lawn as well there is some a small bit of fertiliser in it um, just to give it a kind of the, the, the grass an immediate greening effect so you get a lovely greening effect from it as well but I would advocate that listeners put on a feed as well because and particularly put on a slow release lawn fertilizer um that's important because you want once the moss is dead there's going to be lots of gaps and you want it to fill in but you don't want to force the grass either so putting something like 10 to 20 or an agricultural based feed will just release the nitrogen quick too quickly and you'll force the grass and make it very soft so you put on a proprietary lawn fertilizer after the zero and just get that greening effect rather than a forced growth okay now there's also um a moss treatment that doesn't turn the garden black Some Somebody was wondering about that. Well, well, the zero, that's the one I mentioned, mm. won't, won't discolour. It won't discolour the lawn. Uh, you know, okay, it just, just discolours the, the moss. Yeah, okay. and that's the way it's worked. Whereas the traditional sulphate of iron would have tended to uh, scorch. It was a scorching action that it worked by. Okay. Is the four-in-one good for your lawn with moss? Well, a four-in-one, that's a com- one called complete four-in-one. It's actually made by um, Evergreen. So it, the one application puts it out. Now, in that is actually the sulphate of iron. So, you know, I tend to find over, for the last couple of years, for me, what I use on my own lawn is basically the Zero followed by the, the Osmo and I find that has gets the best That's result the best with result. it. Yeah, and because with the 401, it's not giving the weeds an opportunity to, to, to grow and become soft before you treat them. You're putting all that fertiliser out in one go. Now, it'll certainly green the moss or green the lawn. It'll kill the moss. But to be honest, what I find is that that using the three-step program mm. is works works far far better. Okay, um, and can we spread some grass seed over it after we've applied the zero? Oh, you can. Yeah, sorry, and and zero zero is not. A, there's no pesticide in it, so there's nothing damaging. Uh, in the product. So it's not like an insecticide or a weed killer or whatever. So from a pesticide point of view, there's no pesticide in it. So it's very safe. So you can let your cats and dogs and children play out. It. Well, my, I, my advice is really just to put it on, allow it to dry and then let the kids or, they, or, or family, you know, uh, go back out onto the lawn. But certainly in terms of reseeding, once the moss is dead, you can certainly reseed. Excellent. Um, and okay, so that's moss. And this is a good time of year for reseeding. The temperatures are ideal. So if people are thinking about patching up areas, reseeding areas, or indeed getting a lawn ready for sowing, now soil conditions are still quite wet, but we're coming into that time of year with a longer day length, the warmer temperatures, grass seed will germinate 
at 10 degrees and we're up at what four or five degrees already this yeah. morning so we'll easily get into eight to ten degrees today so it's perfect conditions for sowing seed okay and of course yes, seed. and we have the longer days then uh, as and of tomorrow because today is uh, clock going forward that's, that's yes. correct so yeah. we're into official summer so, yes exactly uh okay so that's the moss on yeah, the and grass. that's and look at my advice is look get out and get get it treated now, um, reseed any patches, get the lawn fed as well, get it mowed as well, and and be careful that you're not mowing the grass too tightly because that that if you're she- shearing back mm. the lawn and and keeping it really tight that favours the spread of moss. And I actually noticed in in Loretta's garden in particular, particularly the gar- back garden where she mentioned she didn't have as much moss, the lawn was left a little bit higher. So obviously it hadn't been mowed and that's what she was referring it's to. It's probably a strategy in why it gets uh, cut tightly, but anyway, yeah. well, you mightn't have to do it as often. Well, but it actually, it, it weakens the grass as well. So you're better, particularly in the, in the autumn and winter period, leaving it a tad bit longer. So in by September, raising the, the, the blades of the mower up a little bit higher is actually a good idea because the, the grass can compete a little bit better. Whereas if it's really tightly sheared back, it favours the spread of moss, particularly in autumn and winter period. Okay, great. And just to move on to harder surfaces, Porek, um, Michael is wondering what's the best to put on coloured concrete for moss? Well, if you want to control moss uh, or algae on any hard surface area, be it tarmacadam, gravel, paving slabs, walls, slates, tiles, all of that sort of thing, use the pack treatment. Again, it's a liquid um, and again, you put it on with your spray machine. It takes normally about six to seven days for it to become active to actually kill the moss completely. Um, and uh, But it, it works very effectively. I actually left some with, with Jerry uh, um, last week for him to try it out on his tarmacadam. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pop in and have a look and see how it's a week later now we'll see how it I'll see, I'll see how, what how it's worked. Like. Yeah, and I'll report in next week. Excellent. But pack is very good. It's very effective. For the hard surfaces. Yeah. Now, um, we had, a, this came in actually earlier and I suppose it's just because of the time of the year. It was kind of a, on foot of a request for Jack and Betty, um, but they're going to sow ridges of potatoes in right. the field on Good Friday and it's a tradition we're told to sow yeah. potatoes yeah. Uh, and also other tillage items. Um, so are you are you familiar with that particular well, we're into the, we, were the, at, we were asked to ask you about it. Right. Yeah. So, well, when you think about it, we're into the spring equinox when, when day length, when the, the length of the day is longer than the length of the night time. So we've more bright hours at this time of year than we do in, uh, you know, during the winter period. So traditionally, and, and if you think of Easter, Easter always follows um, the Paschal full moon, which is the first full moon after the spring equinox. So basically we're into, uh, I suppose, the right time of year and, and Good Friday was always kind of picked uh, traditionally as mm. the time to plant potatoes yes. into the ground and really, you know, it works on kind of the moon phases as well. So, albeit that Good Fr- Friday, the physical date can change year to year, um, it's, it signals the start of the spring equinox when, the, when day length basically gets longer. Um, soil conditions are warming and... It's ideal weather for planting. Now, it all depends what Good Friday brings, if it's going to be cold and miserable. I mean, look at you can plant. There's another tradition that says you can plant potatoes right up until the ash comes into leaf. Which is when? Which is May. Right. So we're a long way off May and it's it's often into the middle of May before the ash is fully clothed in leaves. So it's our last tree to come into leaf. So, you know, we've got, you can plant basically potatoes anytime from now, right through till certainly the first or second week in May comfortably. But tradition has always favoured 
Good Friday. Good Friday. Uh, yeah, particularly root crops were sown on Good Friday. Anything that grows underground, so potatoes, carrots, parsnips, all the root crops. Okay, that and, was the and I suppose day. yes, and it does probably tie in with, uh, I suppose, just the festival of Easter itself and yeah. all that that signifies. Spring, yeah, exactly the renewal and, and all of that. So, um, but but so when you think about it, the weather conditions and the temperatures are warming up, and yes, any time from now, St Patrick's Day was always a kind of a the, traditional day the start as well. Day, yeah. yeah, we yeah. would always recognise that in gardening as the time. Okay. The kind of, you know, around the St. Patrick's Day is the time to be getting time out. Time to and, be getting things Yeah, but it's, look, it's all weather dependent, it's all soil dependent and things have been very wet this year. But as it starts to dry up, certainly get out and start planting them. And if nothing else, you can be chitting or sprouting those seed potatoes indoors in a bright windowsill mm. and getting them going. And, you know, I mentioned it last week that look for varieties that you're not going to get in the shop. So don't plant roosters and curse pinks and, and all of those. Look for something different, particularly the Irish varieties, some really lovely Irish varieties like Orla and Colleen and Satanta, which is a, a great favourite of mine. Brilliant, blight-resistant one. Another lovely one called Blue Danube, which is, I think I mentioned last yep. week, is a purple skin and fantastic blight resistance. It's one if you want to grow them organically, you'll never have to spray it. So, but look, at this is the time of year and if you want to plant them on Good Friday, then... Good, a good keep, day. To, keep to tradition. A good day to do it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And of course, coming into Easter Park, I know children are off uh, now, I think, from school as of this week. They are. Um, so you have so your animal farm. We do. Our traditional running. our traditional animal farm um, always kicks off um, on, on this weekend, just before uh, Easter weekend. So it's kicking off today and tomorrow in our Turlock Centre in Castlebar. And uh, Jason and the team have brought together a whole range of uh, young animals. So there's, I was down there um, over the, the last few days and they've got lambs and goats and ducks and young chicks. The young ducks and young chicks are fantastic. Rabbits, guinea pigs, all of the small animals and farmland animals that put them together in the garden centre. Um, and it's a great, great opportunity for, to bring the kids down. It's a free event um, and, and the guys will be there to talk to the children about the educational aspects of, um, you know, springtime and spring animals in particular. So if people are around the area, certainly drop in. He's also got some unusual pets as well, some giant centipedes, which you would love. Okay. I mean, they're, they're absolutely no, huge. No, I'm, not that, yeah. I'm actually not squeamish at all. So are you no, not? No? no, no, centipedes don't okay. really, that, they wouldn't bother me at all. All right, there you go. Yeah. Or bearded dragons, those yeah. type of things. He has lots of those unusual animals as well and of course the meerkats and the meerkats are there, yeah. there, there, there as well so if people are around the area today and tomorrow in particular and even all through the week and into next weekend the uh, pet farm will be there and Jason and the team drop it say hello and uh you know, yeah. it's a, as I say, it's a free free event for the family. Okay, Porek, we yes. are uh, leaving moss to one side okay. and we're going to focus on other items of a gardening nature. So, alpine plants, we've got a question on that. What's the be- best type of soil do they like? Is it stony soil? Um, and what about ground covering shrubs or plants? Would you have some that you could recommend? Um, how many and are they expensive is another part okay. of that. So, so mul- mul- start, multi, uh, start with the alpine. So, as the name suggests, Alpines originate from the Alps, so they come from mountainous regions. Um, they like to have their their feet or their roots in really gravelly, sandy soil. So they dislike heavy, rich soils or very wet soils. They'll just rot off, they'll die away. So these are perennial plants, which means they're frost hardy. They come back year after year. They, they're plants like common things like Aubrecia, which will be coming into flower very soon, beautiful 
purple or blue flowers that cascades over walls or rockeries, flowers its heart out every year. Plants like Alisum saxitile, which is a yellow flowering um, Alisum, which is lovely, it flowers at the same time as Aubretia, white arabus, a lovely plant called candy tuft, dianthus, there's a whole myriad of alpine plants. So they're typically they're low growing, they're carpeting. Um, as you'd imagine on a mountain range that's the way they grow I would recommend you plant them in clusters of threes or fives of the same variety so trying to create a bit like the heathers rather than putting them in randomly with a dolly mixture go for threes and fives of the same variety planting them about a foot apart in a triangular shape and you know kind of you know plant them oddly in in an area but plant them together so they form a cluster so all five plants will grow in together and form a carpet effect maybe a meter wide and then beside that have a different variety and so on the other thing to remember with alpines is to pick varieties that will flower at different times of the year so the few i mentioned tend to flower in springtime but there are lots that will flower in the summer and autumn as well like gentians and um, summer flowering ones like saxifraga and dianthus so make sure that when you're buying them buy so that you get continuous flowers when the obrisha going out of flower, you've got something that's coming in to take over it. The other thing, nice thing about, about alpines is that if you underplant them in the autumn with spring bulbs, say things like dwarf, crocuses, snowdrops, uh, narcissi, jet fire, which is a beautiful short-stemmed daftal that's in flower at the moment. It's only about four to six inches in height, but it's lovely when growing up through alpines. That, that really works. So my advice is to make sure that the soil is impoverished. So add plenty of grit or gravel into the soil, something about the size of a pea, mm. and dig that in to the soil before you plant. Um, because the, the thing that works against alpines is our wet soil. And, and if, you know, if the soil is wet, then they, they tend to rot away. That's what actually kills them. Nothing else, not the cold or the frost or anything else. It's the sheer wetness in the west, west of Ireland. They dislike that. So, um, so yeah, plant them now. In terms of ground covering plants, look, there's lots of really good ones. Again, when you're planting banks and slopes, the same principle as, applies as the heathers and the and the alpines. Plant in clusters of the same variety. Right. Things like Cotone Aster work really well. Um, it's it's there's a varieties like Damari, which um, or Coral Beauty, which are fantastic. They're evergreen. They flower. They bury. Again, they carpet the ground. They're tough as old boots. You can literally walk on them, and you're not going to damage them. They root as they go along the ground, so they you know they they they'll actually start another so young plant. Is it like runners that they have? Li- like well, the they're, no, their actual stem, if when it's touching the ground, will actually root and continue on. Oh. So, very very good ground covering plants. So that's Cotoneaster damari, Coral Beauty. There's a load of different varieties um, in in that range. But there's also plants like Vincus, which are the periwinkles. There's Hebe pagii, which is a lovely ground covering Hebe, very. Uh, silver foliage, white flowers. So look at pop into your local garden centre, ask them for the ground covering plants. Um, in terms of pricing, will depend on, on the age of the plants. So the younger plants you choose, they're going to be, you know... Less expensive. Yeah, yeah. And and most of the ground covering plants are quite vigorous. So Cotoneaster damari, in it, one plant will cover, you know, at least two metres in diameter. So it, it, it covers the ground really well. Ceanotus repens as well is another nice one, which again, is it's the Californian lilac. It's got nice blue flowers, sky blue flowers, evergreen foliage. And again, one plant will cover two metres in diameter. So a really good kind of ground covering and low to the ground. It'll only grow about a foot or 18 inches in height, but it'll spread up to two metres in diameter. Okay, so long term, really, you're getting good value for money. You are, way. you are. And, and on, on slopes and banks, they tend to be difficult to weed so if you get the ground covering plants in, you're cutting down on the amount of work you've got to do. And again, the same tip, put in some spring bulbs in the autumn and have the bulbs coming up through the 
ground covering plants just as a contrast and the whole thing works together you don't have to cut back the daffodils or anything they just die back naturally and everything works sweetly Okay, perfect. So it's like almost like an automatic garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, shrub viburnum. Um, Kitty had bought one uh, during the week on Monday last, and okay. she's wondering when can she plant it. Well, it, it, there's several different varieties at the moment, but all can be planted out of doors now. And planting the planting conditions are fine at the moment. So my advice, Kitty, Kitty, is to take the plant and put it straight into the ground. Put a nice bit of compost down with it when you're planting it. A little bit of fertilizer as well, and make sure that you water it well before planting, and plant it at the same uh, original level that it is in the container. So slip the container off and just have the, the level of the compost corresponding with the level of your soil and firm it in. It'll be perfectly happy. Viburnums are very, very easy to grow. There's a great variety called Viburnum davidii. Think oh. of David. Right. Viburnum davidii, which is a super ground covering plant. It has big leathery leaves, big they're nearly very large leaves, but it only it carpets the ground. So it's one called Viburnum davidii. Um, but there's loads of different different varieties of Viburnum, but that's particularly good as a ground covering plant. Now, uh, somebody wondering if there's any product they can use to kill weeds and grass growing between a two-year-old hedge. Um, well. The thing about the, the herbicides is it's not a simple answer. Don't be looking like me that over over the over the desk. Um, it's not. There, there used to be a, a weed killer called Fusilade, which only killed grass and didn't damage other plants. Yes. But but unfortunately, that's only available to registered licensed users. Oh, so that's, users. Called, that's in under the new EU directive now. It, it sure is. Ah, right. So for the a- amateur gardener, the answer is no, no. There isn't a product that will now. It, depending on what, what hedge it is, if it's a hedge like um, beech that hasn't come into leaf and won't come into leaf until May, it's still very dormant, then you can use something like the Weed Free 360 to treat any weeds that are coming and growing at the base of the hedge without any damage. But if it's an evergreen hedge like laurel or grisolinia or privet or escalonia, then my advice is, look, get out the garden hoe. There's a great, the best tool I have in the, in the garden shed is a tool from Wolf and it's a garden hoe. It cuts... It's got a blade on both sides of the of the gar of the hole, and it, as you pull and push, it actually cuts the weeds. So you'll do a tremendous amount of damage to the weeds uh, with that particular garden hoe, you know. And it's ideal for in under mm. uh, hedges and things like that. So if it's only light weeds, you'll hold them out as easy as spraying. So maybe avoid the spraying and actually treat it with the um, with the garden hoe and, and, and tidy it up. And a day like today would be ideal to do that. Okay. Uh, sorry, no. So it's just to be careful with weed killers, you know, particularly evergreen plants, yeah. because to get on the foliage, you're going to damage the, the hedge itself. And I suppose if you can, if you can get the weeds out when they're younger, then it becomes absolutely. Less problematic and, and they're, they're, they're tiny, easier they're, to manage. They're smaller now at the moment, so they're easy scuffle out, and and you know, on a day like today, sure, hey. It's great, great. Um, a nice bit of exercise. That's exactly it. Now, uh, I'm wondering, I want to plant a tree, preferably an oak tree, about okay. two to three years old. But when is the right time to sow? And what, if anything, do I need to do to prep the ground, asks Paddy. Okay, well, it's it's super simple, really, with oak. I mean, there. Uh, uh, remember that planting oaks, it's going to grow slowly but it is going to grow to quite a large tree. So when you're selecting the site and the location for it, make sure that you've got the space to allow it to grow because it'll grow into a majestic tree like a beech or like a sycamore um, over time. So that's the first thing. Pick the location. Um, oaks like free-draining soil, so they dislike very wet conditions. So just pick a, a, a nice area, of, you know, an area that doesn't get excessively wet. Um, it'll grow in ordinary garden soil and you can buy an oak today. If it's in a pot, 
So if you buy a tree in a pot or a shrub in a pot, you can plant it any time of the year. And this is a good time of year for planting trees in general, be it cherries or maples or oak trees. So this weekend, Paddy could get out and actually plant the tree. Um, look, the, key, the key thing is just pick the location, get some planting compost, some fertiliser, mix it into the planting hole when you're planting it and always put down a tree stake to secure the tree well. And that's it. You could put a little guard maybe on the base of it. You can get these spiral guards that go up along the bark mm. to stop rabbits or hares nipping at the at the actual stem of the tree. But apart from that, the weather conditions are ideal. Um, get it into the ground. This is, you know, you can plant plant now this weekend or over the next couple of weeks. I'd kind of avoid the mid, middle of summer because obviously you have to be out watering the plant. So get it in now and it'll settle in well before it comes into leaf. Perfect. Uh, now, we're going to talk, I know we, we talked reasonably uh, extensively last week about uh, trimming back hedging and yeah. shrubs, um, but I suppose our weekly question in relation mm. to hydrangeas. This is back in again. <laughs> Five right. euro for every hydrangea <laughs> question we get. I yeah. tell you, I wouldn't need to be working the rest of the week at all. I know, but um, I suppose it is, the people are looking at them now yeah. and they are, uh, you it's know. It's that time of year. The, the, the old heads are probably still on them. So. They're looking, looking a bit tatty, shall we say, at the moment and making the garden look, look untidy. So people are anxious to, to prune them back. And indeed, this is the time of year in general for pruning of a lot of plants. So if you haven't pruned your roses, then this is the weekend to get out and actually prune them back. And as I always say, disregard any new growth that might, might have come them. So go out and start trimming plants back in general. So roses in particular, hydrangeas can be pruned now. So the pruning of hydrangeas is selecting the, the, the stems that flowered last year following those right back to the, the ground level and pruning them out and leaving any shoots that haven't borne any flowers alone. Also, when we prune, we feed. So put on a high potash feed. So a rose fertiliser or something like the Osmo Pro 6 is a good tree and shrub fertiliser and help to green plants on and bring them into growth because, you know, temperatures are rising now. Plants are coming into growth anyway. Plants like spirea, the golden-leafed uh, spirea, they also benefit from pruning back at this time of year. Budleas will also benefit from pruning back. So in general, it, this is the time of year, particularly for summer flowering plants, those that flower from June right through to September, October. So roses, hydrangeas, buddleias, spireas, all of those plants that we generally associate with spring flowering, now is the time to prune them. Now, um, gardening question. What fertiliser should be applied to fruit bushes and shrubs? Okay, well, well, fruit, so with all fruiting plants, so anything that bears a fruit, uh, be it a plum, a cherry, a gooseberry, whatever, they all really like high potash fertilizer. So when we think of fertilizer, you think NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. So potassium is the element that's actually in bananas. It's, the, that's, that's, that's it's full of potassium. And if you throw a banana skin around the base of a rose plant, it'll actually green it up lovely. Oh, so really? don't dump your, always put the, the banana skins onto your compost heap or if, no, if nothing else, just chuck them around the, um, around the base of roses or any flowering plants because they're full of potassium. So to answer the listeners' questions, go for um, a high potash feed. So again, a rose fertiliser would be ideal. Um, so, uh, you know, any of the rose feeds would, would be perfect for any flowering shrubs in particular and also fruiting shrubs. So... Potash is the element to increase flowering and fruiting in, in all plants. And same when you get your tomato feeds, they're full of potash. Potash is the main element in... So, so tomato feeds, rose fertiliser, all brilliant for, for um, shrubs, for flowering shrubs in particular and also for um, fruiting plants. If it's just general shrubs that are grown for foliage and leaf colour, then the Osmo Pro 6 is fine. That's a traditional tree and shrub fertiliser for hedging and you know, general use trees. 
Now, and we're going to stay with fruiting plants for just a second because somebody has a gooseberry bush. They tell us that it gives them a great supply of fruit, but there's a rust-like skin on the fruit. What is it and how do they get rid of it? Yeah, that's simply called gooseberry American mildew. So it's, it's, um, it's a coating. It's a mildew coating that comes on the outside of the gooseberry fruit. Um, it's not damage. It, it's not um, well. It's damaging to the fruit, of course, but it's not damaging to humans. It doesn't make the fruit inedible, but it's but it makes it a pain uh, yeah. having to clean it off. So it's a mildew. It's a fungus. You can prevent it by putting on a proprietary fungicide in generally when the fruit is forming. So any time from kind of early May through to the end of June, if you apply um, a fungicide to the plant, it'll, it'll prevent that. It's, if untreated gooseberries generally get it. It's a bit like black, black spot on roses. Um, you know, if you don't treat it, you will have gooseberry mildew, particularly a summer like last year where it's very humid and wet in, in July. Um, that's where it spreads. Okay. So that's all it is. Now, so is it time to plant strawberry plants at the moment? Um, and also, are they in stock at the minute in the garden centres? Yeah, yeah, this is the time of year to plant them. Um, you can plant them both out of doors because they're f- totally frost hardy. You can plant them in a tunnel if you have such a thing or in a greenhouse and start them on early. You'll have the fruit a month early than having them out of doors. Or I always advise people to do both, put put some out in. And, and strawberries will grow in the smallest containers. I mean, literally window boxes is perfect for them. If you're planting them out directly in the garden soil, the best thing to do is to create a small ridge, plant them along the top of the ridge and let them grow from there. Put a bit of straw under them as the fruit is forming later on in the season. Um, and in a tunnel and greenhouse, again, put them into hanging baskets, window boxes, pots, containers. I often do up some mixed hanging baskets so with trailing petunias and stick in a strawberry plant as well. Okay. Nothing nicer no. than passing this. And they do, yeah, no, it and is. No and, and have a little bit of it. I'll just have one. Yeah, tell no one. They'll never notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They are no because we've had we've had strawberry plants in um, hanging baskets in our oh, house, yeah. and, and they are a lovely little addition yeah. during the summertime. And they do very well, and they're mm. very easy grown. And like I said this last week, that commercially they're grown in in. Uh, guttering, guttering that's used, just kind of aluminium guttering with compost in them. So they are super easy to grow. Great for children as well. If you plant them now, you will have fruit this summer. So, you know, within five months, yes. you'll actually be picking your first strawberry. Yeah. Yum, yum. Okay, Red Robin uh, pork, it's got buds on it, uh, Maureen Good. says, and she's wondering, can she cut it back? Yes, you can. And it's one of the plants for tinny Red Robin that actually uh, relishes and does well the more pruning it gets. I often prune them twice in the season, prune them now and give them a second pruning in late June, early July and you get a second flush of growth. So they're one of those plants that actually responds very well to pruning back and this is the time to prune them. Remember Maureen, when you prune it, feed it as well. Uh, give it a grain of fertiliser because that's going to just put it, push on the, the new growth on it and the colour colour will be so much better. Now, uh, Anne is in Ballymoporic and she's got some apple trees, mature apple trees. So it appears that some years don't, they don't do as well as other years. So she's wondering, is there something that you can put on them or how do we improve their productivity, I suppose? Well, look, a a little bit of feeding is is no harm, but as trees get mature, um, what you often get is a year where they're very productive and then they take a rest, like us all. And they skip fruiting. So particularly if the trees are smaller, it's easy to thin the fruit. And you'll often hear, particularly in the summertime, we often recommend to listeners to actually thin out the apple. You get this natural June drop where the trees abort a certain amount of the fruit, but particularly for branches that are bearing too much um, uh, in a particular year, it's a good idea to thin them. A, because the the fruit will grow to a better size, but B, you stop this cyclical uh, 
you know, heavy crop one year and no crop the second mm. year. So the trees naturally trigger themselves. If, the, if they have a heavy crop one year, not to have a, a heavy uh, any fruit or very little fruit the second year. So it's, I suppose, an inbuilt mechanism. They're to, kind of minding themselves. They really. are, yeah. because they put all the energy into producing new growth. So for mature trees, really, and even putting fertiliser on them, it's not going to have any huge impact because the trees are big and you put, need to be putting on a lot of feeding to, to get any result. Now, you can rejuvenate tra- trees by putting some pruning in. So old trees can be pruned back, uh, thinned out, take out some of the larger branches in them and you actually rejuvenate the tree itself and, and bring it back young again if that makes sense. You're getting mm-hmm. rid of a lot of the old wood and that encourages the, the um, production of new growth and obviously that's far more productive. So it's a little bit to do with ageing and, and probably the trees are so tall now thinning of the fruit is not practical in the summer so it's kind of a... It's, certainly, it's an autumn job then. Really, well, you could it? leave it. You could you could just leave them, or you could decide that to do some pruning, heavy pruning in the winter time to actually uh, rejuvenate the tree. So you leave it till kind of November, December of next year. Take out some of the larger stems, about a third of the older stems, out of the tree. Those that are thick, those that maybe are damaged, and that will encourage the production of lots of young growth the following year and within a couple of years they come back to being very fruitful again okay but they need to be that that trimming needs to take place every year for a while yeah it does okay. over three years you kind of rejuvenate you're taking out a third each year and that effectively rejuvenates the whole tree you've got all young growth then on the tree and you know it's like planting a new tree all over again and finally on that are we too late this year to do that kind of pruning well it's 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 fairly heavy pruning and and i would say look where it's 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 a tad late now okay. even though the spring is late this year but apple trees have started to grow they're just beginning to break bud so i would leave it till november december of when they're totally dormant Okay, now I know spring is late this year, uh, but snowdrops have been out and they're Beautiful, kind of yeah. dying back at this stage. Yeah. So Sean is in tune and he's wondering, is there anything you can do with or should do with the snowdrops now that they've gone out of flower, they're in pots? Well, it's, it's great that they're in pots. Um, so snowdrops, I, I was actually with a, um, a customer during the week admiring the, uh, the they had some lovely old varieties of uh, snowdrops uh, and I was nearly trying to get my hands on them uh, because this is the time of year for actually lifting if you've got snowdrops in the garden mm. or in pots it's the time to lift them out of the ground split them up and transplant them so we always move them in the green is the term that's used which means that you dig them up when they're actually growing after flowering and you you propagate them you give them away to your family and friends you can put them into pots and grow them on or you can spread them to new areas of the garden so in Sean's case the fact that they're in pots then I would plant them out of doors now so pick a nice location maybe under the shade of trees they do very well under um, deciduous trees like like oak and ash mm. and, and cherries and so on um, or plant them in the lawn area plant them somewhere for next year but get them back into the into the ground if the clumps are very thick in the pots you could divide them into clumps of twos or threes um, and if people have them in their garden themselves and they want to propagate them and, and move them into new areas then this is the this is the weekend or over the next week dig them up transplant them and just replant them back in new areas and you've got yourself some some new bulbs okay. and the bulbs actually do better from it because otherwise they get too congested and, and the flowering starts to fade back a little bit so 
splitting bulbs every three to four, five years is a very good idea. And the same applies with daffodils or bluebells or any bulbs. Lift them in the green. So wait for them to go out of flower, dig them up, transplant them and put them into new areas of the garden or give them away to family and friends. OK, now a couple of questions on plum trees and cutting them back and pruning them in general. And uh, also Bridge is wondering her plum trees are first common based on they have moss on them as well. OK, so to get rid of the moss on any tree, you can use the, the zero is, is, a, is as effective on a tree as it is on the lawn. So if the listener wants to just get rid of moss that's growing. Now remember, moss doesn't do any damage to the tree. It's not parasitic. Um, and and we, we often see lots of lichen up through tree, th- trees. And I often remind people that that's a sign of fantastic air quality. 20 years ago, living in Dublin, there was no lichen on any of the trees around Dublin because the smoke from the coal fires killed it. Killed it the sulphur killed it. So, you know, purity of air gives lots of lichen growth. Now, if you want to get rid of it, then you put the zero treatment will get that rid of it. In terms of pruning, anything with a stone, any fruit with a stone, like a nectarine, a peach, plums, damsons, you don't prune those at this time of year. So you prune them once they come into leaf. So my advice is let them flower, let the fruit set on them and then do some pruning on your plum tree. So leave them till about the early part of May and and that's the time to do the pruning or during the summer months is the time to prune back uh, anything in the cherry or plum family. So that this applies to flowering cherries mm. as well. They're going to be coming into flower in April. So let them flower and then prune them back. Don't prune them because they bleed. There, there's, you'll see the sap oozing out of the cut wounds in the winter or the springtime. So they're better left until until, until, until after flowering. Yeah. That's the, the trick. After flowering or when the fruit just starts to form. Now, can I move a five-year-old ash to a new site now? Yes, you can. Remember what I said about ash. It's not going to come into leaf until May. So it's a perfect time to dig it up. So get yourself a sharp spade. Then go sever the roots. So go around, go out about a foot or eight inches from the centre of the stem and with a sharp spade, just go around in a circular motion and undercut all the roots and the, the ash will lift with a root ball and transplant it and make sure it goes down at the same level. But ash transplants, no problem. So dig it up now. Again, this weekend would be ideal or over the next, certainly in the next week to 10 days, it would want to be moved. So undercut the root first, lift it and, and move it. Is it too late to move a standard rose tree, asks Mary? No, and just to explain what a standard rose, so we have our normal bush rose which grows at ground level. Mm. The standard rose has a clean stem of about four feet or five feet and then the true variety of rose is grafted onto that stem. So it's like a rose up in the air. Okay, and that's what we call a standard. Um, in terms of, of moving them, no, you can. It depends on the age of of the tree. The listener doesn't tell us, do, does she? The uh, standard no, tree, no. no. So it depends on the age. They generally move well up to about six years. Um, uh, six years and older, you 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 could possibly lose it. Now, so what I would do if it has to be moved, prune it back severely. So prune the head of the rose bush back severely. So you're removing maybe. Uh, uh, 10 inches, 12 inches of growth just back to the, the main head and then dig it up and like the ash tree transplant it all in the one move restake it, put a new stake on it and it'll come back into, into growth again Okay, uh, somebody has two lilies in pots, they were received for Mother's Day okay. I'm wondering can I set them outside and when there's flowers on them at the moment Well I would leave them inside just for the moment, they're, they're obviously um, the regal lilies or, or one of the ornamental lilies the uh, or ornamental lilies that have been forced in greenhouses to come into flower early. They normally don't flower till July, June, late June, early July. So they've been fooled into thinking it's summertime. So keep them in, enjoy the flowers for the next week or 10 days. Once they go out of flower, then you can cut maybe two or three inches off the top of the plant, just underneath the flower and plant them out of doors. Uh, they won't flower this summer again, but you will get them to bloom the following summer.
Okay. So just bear that in mind. There'll be summertime when they actually come back into flower again. And do they come back every year? They will. They're grown from a bulb. Yeah. Now remember, the lilies like, um, particularly or- oriental lilies, they like free-draining soil. So again, like the alpines, my advice is to put plenty of grit and gravel. Maybe even dig the hole, put some sand into the bottom of the hole and sit the, the, the root of the plant into that and then backfill with a nice gritty mixture of, of compost or soil. Uh, pick a bright location. Lilies like a sunny location. And, uh, but enjoy them indoors whilst they're still well, in flower, flower yeah. and leave them for another maybe two weeks and then plant them once we get into April. And uh, temperatures might be a little bit better. a little bit brighter, but put them into a nice, bright, sunny, gravelly soil area or else put them into a bigger pot. Okay. You can grow them in a pot as well and leave them in the pot and they'll leave them outdoors for the winter and they'll come back into growth next summer. Now, um, I know we talked about hydrangeas and pruning. Somebody's got a hydrangea that didn't flower well the last two years, wondering would you have any idea? Well, what, what I would do is don't touch it, don't prune it. Obviously, you don't need to because it hasn't flowered. Um, and secondly, give it a high potash fertiliser. So again, a rose feed, anything with potash. Plants often, for the first year or two, when they go into ground, often make a lot of leafy growth and stem growth because the plant wants to put on some bulk. Once it gets to a certain size, then remember flowering is all about reproducing. So the plant triggers itself to flower, to, to produce seed, to reproduce. That's, that's its thinking. So if it's growing well, it tends to put on a lot of leafy and stem growth for the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Potash helps to slow that down. Actually stops plants growing and it forces them nearly into flowering. So a good rose fertilizer, apply that now, repeat in about a month's time and fingers crossed, okay. blooms this summer. And finally... Um Somebody's got a circle in the lawn where grass is yellow, looks burnt, looks as if there could be an insect there. I think there are holes. Right, well, it could be leather jackets, which would, would cause damaging of the... Um, of the grass. Of the, the grass, yeah, yeah. yeah um, or cutworms. There are lots of different ones. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a... There isn't an insecticide now available at the moment. Later on in the summer, you can put on the nematodes which are the natural predators of um, leather Th- jackets. Like yeah. yeah. So maybe leave it at the moment. Just to check it, what you, the listener could do is literally put some sudsy water, some fairy liquid okay. in, in wa- water, chuck it onto the lawn. They'll come up to the surface, the bugs, and you'll see, is it leather jackets or what's there, what's causing the problem. Dogs, female dogs in particular, can cause yellowing on lawns as well. Okay. So that could be an, an indication as well. So it could, could be a couple of number of factors. Yeah, but later on in the summer, if it is leather jackets, you can treat for them. Okay, when the temperatures come up. Because yeah. the nematodes need temperatures they do. to work. They need to it? be at least kind of 10 to 15 degrees. It needs to be warm. Okay, so another couple of weeks, folks. There you Hopefully, go. and we'll keep our fingers crossed. Pork, we're going to leave it there. Incidentally, for listeners, uh, you can uh, listen back to the programme via podcast. I know we've covered a huge amount of information, particularly earlier on Moss. Yes. Uh, so rather than repeating, 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 uh, maybe an opportunity to go back and listen back and hopefully you'll... Uh, find your answers there. Exactly, but yeah. this is the weekend to treat it. And remember that the pet farm is on this today and tomorrow. Go down and see Jason and the team. It's well worth the day out. Lovely. Park, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Megan. Good morning to you. That's my last standby. Michael Neary coming your way directly after the news at 10 until next Saturday. Good morning to you.